Well, good evening. We got a lot to do tonight. I'm excited about all that we get to hear. And we're going to start right in tonight hearing from our first ministry or man who's serving God in the ministry. And if he looks like he got out of jail, it's because he just did. I uh, was keeping him supervised over here. Uh, he kept me supervised many, many years ago, I think. And uh, we've known this family for a long, long time. And uh, he works in the jail ministry. And the Lord has used him in a wonderful way. And so he lives here in town. And I wanted him to share with us about what God is using him to do and uh, some ways that we can be praying for him and ways that we can be a part of that. So I hope you're listening up. Brother Robert, why don't you come and share for us what the Lord has laid on your heart. Thank you for being here with us tonight, brother. Thank you, Pastor. Here you are. All right. Y'all watch the door while, I'm, while I try to present this. They're still after me. But I escaped. Hallelujah. I escaped ever evening. I'm doing a life sentence. I've done 21 years on a life sentence. They let me out nights and weekends, and I'm thankful for that. But uh, my name is Robert Bottom, B-O-T-T-O-M. Can't get any lower, but we're going up. And my wife, Jeanette, is here with me this evening. We're out of Tri-County Baptist Church out in Katy, and I'm a missionary chaplain with Rock of Ages Prison Ministry out of Cleveland, Tennessee. A missionary chaplain, been with about 21 years and 20 years in the Harris County Jail. Hebrews 13.3 says, Remember them which are in bonds is bound with them, and them which suffer adversity is being yourself also in the body. I go and daily I see the bondage and the, the groaning of the prisoner, the sighing of the prisoner, and they're yearning for the truth. Sin is a heavy taskmaster. The wages of sin, young people, is death. And it's a horrible thing. Separation from those they love, their parents, their loved ones, their families, their children. There's a lot of crying in jail, big men weeping, weeping. It's not a place we want to be, but I thank God that the blood of Jesus can cleanse us from sin. And, and we have the answer, the word of God. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we go there in the jails Monday through Thursday Harris County Jail and in Fort Bend County. There's 9,500 inmates in your local jail downtown, and, and there's 1,000 in Fort Bend County, and that's not even counting the federal. If there's a prison escape, you get out of Dodge real quick down there. There's a lot of, a lot of people down there, but there's a lot of hurting people. Over 100,000 people go through the Harris County Jail in one year. Just unbelievable amount of people, but faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And we're there holding, uh, holding chapel services and then soul winning. And then we've got, I brought these Bibles. We've got it with Rock of Ages, or Dr. Garris, Ron Garris. He helped get the Rock of Ages study Bible because there's a real need for good Bibles in the jails and study Bibles and then even the prison system. So we got a system where they memorize 25 verses and they can get a good study Bible. And so I purchased these, Rock of Ages print them, and we purchased them. Then I had the Hispanic people say, hey, amigo, how about me? Well, how about a, a Biblia for me? I said, well, you pray in the money, and we'll buy the Bibles. We'll do it. And sure enough, somebody gave me $1,000, and we've been providing Spanish. I've got one man so on fire for God. I worked with him, and he can speak English, and he's he had eight men quoting 25 verses the other day, got the Bible. He's, and they shipped him to another cell. He had three lined up this week. He said, I'll have three more next week. God's using men. The, he, he hears the groaning of the prisoner, sighing of the prisoner. The key is multiplication. 
as we're having more restrictions, pray. Even in, in 1200 Baker, they're not having preaching right now because of confusion. 701, where I am, we are having preaching. But the key is reaching inmates to reach inmates. And we're finding God is doing a mighty work. And when a man gets control, clean the garbage out. It's just like winding them up and watch them go. Because they're so, such a light in a dark spot. They line up and say, whatever he got, I want it. And I say, get in line. Get in line. And then it's so exciting. These men are bringing other men. And then they're working with them. Oh, Frank, Frank was an inmate there. Just a hardened man of sin, did a lot of time in prison, but got right with God. And, and then Frank began to bring men. And then the other day, he was assaulted, broke his jaw. He was, but he got Xavier going for the Lord. And he won Xavier. I worked with him. And now he was in, Frank is in another cell. Xavier, after he left, he's now pastoring the pod. Xavier, just 21 years old, but he's gone through a lot. And now he's bringing others. Frank went to another floor, and there was Frank, some of my other men. And there he brought another man, and he had his white teeth wired together from a broken jaw, and there he was. He said, I just can't help tell him about Jesus. I said, glory to God. Some of us with a loose jaw can't talk about Jesus yeah. and, uh, or take a lick for Jesus. He took a lick for Jesus and kept on ticking for God, and there he brought another man to Christ. Do pray for us as we go there. And, and try to reach the souls and do pray. It's a dark days. In the east, many cannot go behind prison bars now. Further with Rock of Ages, we're seeing more and more restriction in the jails. Harris County and Texas Department of Criminal Justice, we can go behind bars into the cells with them. We're still having preaching as well. We're doing with Rock of Ages, have revival services. If some men would like to go on a Thursday night, all day Friday visiting in the cells, Saturday preaching, and then uh, Friday night preaching, Saturday night preaching, that's available. And then if there's some men on a regular schedule, be interested in working in Harris County, a regular preaching time to come in in the evenings, that's available. And even during the days. And or just visiting cell by cell. You don't have to be a preacher. Ladies, there could be opportunities as well. Remember them which are in bond is bound with them. Hear the groaning of the prisoner, the sighing. We also sing songs and while we're in there, many have not heard good Christian songs, and we give them out a hymn book, and we sing nothing but the blood of Jesus. Some pass me not, O gentle Savior. And they all sort of snicker at first, but when they start hearing their voice, and I've had run across men five years later, and I said, they said, I know you, nothing but the blood of Jesus. I said, hallelujah. You may forget who I am, but don't forget who Jesus is. Thank you for this time. Let's take a minute right now and pray for Brother Bottom and his work there. What the Lord's doing. Some of these men, you mentioned Frank. Who are some other Xavier. folks? And Xavier. Any others we can be praying Brother for? Bell. Too? And Brother Bell. Let's pray for them right now. Father, thank you for this very important ministry of the gospel. I love what the scripture says when it says, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. Lord, I thank you for men who will go even to people who have run and have hurt and have done crimes and all kinds of wicked things. But Lord, we thank you that Jesus loved us even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
Lord, thank you for somebody who is willing to go and to share the gospel with those that the rest of society would rather not see, maybe not even hear from again. But Lord, thank you that you love them just as much as you loved us. Lord, I pray for these men that have trusted you as Savior. I'm sure there are others, but we think of Frank tonight, Xavier, Brother Bell, Lord, others who have trusted you as Savior, these men that are memorizing Scripture, studying your Word. Lord, I pray that they'd be even an example to us. We have freedom to choose where we go and what we do. And because of their choices, their wrong choices, many of them don't have the freedom to do that. But thank you that in Christ we have freedom from sin. Lord, I pray that you'd bless them, encourage those men, help them as they study your word, as they share the gospel with others. Lord, thank you for even through this awful choices and bad situations of how they got where they are, you're still using it for your glory. We thank you that no matter where we are, you said if we end up into heaven, you're there. If we make our bed in hell even there, you're with us. Lord, I thank you that you're there even in the jail with men and women who have tried to run as hard as they can from you. Lord, I pray that you bless Brother Bottom, give him strength, provide the finances that he needs, provide the materials that he needs to be able to go and continue the message. I pray that you'd touch somebody in our church even tonight, encourage them with this need and that they can be a part of going as well. Might join in one of these opportunities to share the gospel down at the county jail or one of these weekends where they go and have evangelistic services or one of the ladies going into the ladies' prison and helping there and encouraging there. Lord, you know the needs and you know what's in our hearts. I pray that you'd use us to be faithful to serve you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You know, there was somebody in Scripture who said, Lord, I'll go with you even unto the death. His name was Simon Peter. Of course, later we read that he then denied Christ three times. But still, God came back to him. Jesus came back to him because he loved Simon Peter. And he encouraged him. And he forgave him. And he restored him. And Simon Peter was the man that God chose to use in the city of Jerusalem on what we know as the day of Pentecost to stand up and to preach the gospel to thousands who were gathered that day. And the Bible says that 3,000 people trusted Christ that day. You know, it's wonderful to have good intentions to serve the Lord. It's wonderful to make commitments to serve the Lord, and we ought to do it. But the reality is, sometimes we fail, even with the best of intentions. Maybe some of you this morning came forward and said, I'm going to pass out a tract. I'm going to be faithful to share the gospel. And then as you went home, you just kind of thought, I don't, I don't know if I can actually do that. I want to encourage you to stay faithful to the Lord. But even if you have failed or you haven't fulfilled something that you've promised to do, if you're still here, God still wants to use you. And stay faithful to the Lord. God can use you. God can use you. Well, I'm so thankful to introduce our next folks. They don't really need any introduction because they're part of our church family. But uh, several months ago, I don't know when was it, around Thanksgiving, somewhere in that time frame, uh, the Ngogas invited us over to their home and shared with us some of the ministry that God has allowed them to have. And you know how God puts people through all kinds of different circumstances? And sometimes when you're going through even really hard things, you say, why would God do that? 
You ever find yourself asking God why? I think if anybody could ask God why, it would probably be this family. They've been through a lot. And yet everything that God has allowed in their life, He's had it there for a purpose. And it was for their good and for His glory. And also for the opportunity that the gospel might go forth even beyond themselves, which of course we know is all to the glory of God. And so I've asked them to share what the Lord's laid on their heart, maybe a little testimony of some things God has done in their heart, as well as some of the ministry that the Lord has allowed them to have, even in some ways we might say a small way right now, even though it's not a small way. Any amount of serving the Lord is is a wonderful thing. There's a song that says, little is much when God is in it. We be faithful to the Lord. So I'm thankful for them. And I also wanted to say this at this point. Maybe in the presentation about the ministry in the jail system, some of you said, I'd like to know more about how I can be a part of that. After the service tonight, Brother Robert has a table in the back here with information. I'm sure he'd love to talk to you, love to get your information, be able to stay in contact with you and let you know about opportunities, let you know ways that you can pray let you know how you can be involved in those things. So go see him after the service tonight. And after the Ngoga's share tonight, maybe some of you say, I want to know more about how I can be a part of that. They also have a table, but we put them around in the fellowship hall. We put them in there because as part of our church family, we need a lot of space. We figure a lot of people know, really, we just ran out of space in here. But we're, if you want to know more about their opportunities to serve, go see them afterwards. Of course, some of you this morning already visited with Brother Milton back at his table Go see him after the service tonight. We're excited about what the Lord's doing through their ministry as well. Isn't it wonderful to know that we serve a God that's big enough to work all over the world all at the same time? That's what I get so excited about at a missions conference. So, brother, why don't you come share what the Lord's laid on your heart? I I know your family's probably going to be a part of this in some way. And so just share with us what God has. Good evening, everybody. It's an honor and a pleasure to be here with my family, of course, and my big family, which is my church family. This morning, Dr. John mentioned something that came back in my mind. It was like, he said, if the church is not standing, there will not be no missions. He again said, If the mother is sick, the whole family is suffering, right? About 20-some years ago, 26 years ago, the church in Rwanda, the churches in Africa, in, I would say, in Central East Africa, they were suffering a lot. Where I come from, we do have now about 10 or more churches that uh, turn into genocide memorials. I had no reason why to believe God to go to church again until the power of God visited me and I was convicted. I mean, that was my time. I'm so blessed to have my family here with me. I am uh, from Rwanda, originally. I was born and grew up in Rwanda. And uh, in 1994... I lost my parents, both my brothers, my sisters, friends, neighbors, name it. That was a uh, hundred days of genocide 
which was recorded to be the, I would say, the shortest time to have that number of people dying in that only 100 days. We lost about 1 million people in just 100 days. So in that kind of circumstances, that's where I lost hope. I grew up in a Christian-like family. Christian-like, not a Christian. Christian-like. We used to go to church on, on uh, Christmas, on uh, Passovers, on, uh, you know, on the funerals, baptism, weddings. I, I was not really, and my family was not really Christian. They were not strong Christians, I would say. So during genocide, there was a time to doubt God, even after, because they have seen so many pastors being involved in the killings, I've seen so many deacons being involved, the priests being involved, bishops being involved in the killings. And uh, I remained wandering around, of course denying God, until my time came. I realized it was not just about seeing what a, man a son of man is doing, but my relationship between me and Jesus Christ, which I thank God for today. About six years ago, we immigrated here. We didn't know. Uh, part of seeking for freedom and finding a better place to settle with so many things that was going in our minds and those kind of traumas, and we didn't know that God can use this to shape us in one way or another. The six years we've been here in the U.S., They've been a tremendously good years we ever had. Sometimes my wife keeps on reminding me, you, you know, you, s you, you have less nightmares now. We thank God for that. Amen. We didn't know where we were going. But what we knew, we knew that we were going in a country that is safe, the country that our kids will be able to go to school, the country that will be able to go to bed without hearing bullets. We have experienced it. We are, you, you, we are fine. We thank God for that. We took steps of faith. We didn't know there that, we didn't know about some of the states. When we first landed here, we landed in Massachusetts. We didn't know that the Massachusetts was a state. We thought Boston was a state. That's 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 was our. So all these years we've been here, we've been enjoying, we've been growing spiritually, physically. But one thing that really kept on tickling us, it is the life we lived back home. Both spiritual life and the physical life. We came in a families where to make it having dinner was a little bit hard. Then after genocide, when so many people were depressed and so many chaos going on, it was even harder. I was telling a friend the other day that I do remember there's a time I was making $26 a month and I was married with three children. I and Christine... 
making it on $26 a month. I do remember there's a time I couldn't take our firstborn, Erica, to school because was, that was not enough, even for us to survive. A friend stepped in and he introduced me up to a friend and he, they found her sponsor. She went to school through that sponsorship program from uh, one Christian organization until my salary went higher and I stepped in and I told my friend, hey, do you know what? I think what I'm making now, I think I will be able to pay and send her to school by my own because I am somewhere. Uh, if, if possible, we can use this help for someone else. And we did that. That was so a blessing to another family. I didn't want to keep on, you know, abusing the system, I would say. Not too long ago, I'm very talkative, you are by with me. Not too long ago, um, we decided to see how we can step in. We know so many families that are going through hard time as we did. Christine and I, and actually my daughters began back home in Maine, back in Maine. They started collecting bottles and cans. And they were selling those, and they paid for our school fees for one guy in Africa. And that was beyond what I would, for nine-year-old, to think of for someone, I knew we should do something, but I didn't know how. By God's grace, we started, as we started making some income, we started gathering pennies and quarters here and there, started sending the kids to school by our own as a family. And the time came, uh, we decided to use as more resources as we can to be able to do so. So in these few minutes, I will have Christine come and tell us more. Hey, I'm Christine, if you don't know me, and I'm um, a wife to Simon Peter. And so he told you a little bit of our background. If I were to choose where to be born from, I wouldn't have chosen the jungles of Africa. But I'm so thankful because the Lord has a reason why I was born there, why I was born in that particular village that I was born in, why I was forced to learn so many languages. I speak five, he only speaks seven. <laughs> I know there is a reason for everything now that I know the Lord and he has I know everything was designed and knit together for a purpose so having my bells on me we use them to dance and uh, we use that sound normally we danced for the earth for an earthly king and we would make sure he hears the beat because we didn't have any other things to make the sound of our feet be heard so with all that Simon Peter said, the Lord has blessed us in mighty ways. He has taught us to speak English. Someone sent us to school. And uh, we came to know about Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. And we have walked with him. He has every journey from, from the jungle where I grew up from. We have kind of a, a different life growing up. 
he, he lost all his family. I have nine siblings. I have my mom. I don't have my dad, but he passed away naturally. He, it wasn't war. My parents left Rwanda in 1959 because of the very first genocide in Rwanda. And I was born and grew up as a refugee in Uganda. I only know how to live like a refugee because even here, everywhere, when, when someone speaks to me, they know I don't come from here. The first time I open up my mouth to speak, they know I don't come from here. I can't wait for heaven where I will perfectly fit and no one will know that I am not from there <laughs> because of Jesus. So we started a ministry. It's called Thankful International. We are thankful Everything the Lord has done, he has done it for a purpose, and we are thankful. One time I spoke to children, and they asked me, aren't you angry that you didn't have shoes, that you didn't have a toothbrush? Oh, I forgot to tell them then that we even didn't have toilets. And toilet paper, those, those are luxuries in the place where I was born. Simon Peter had them growing up. I did not. But I'm so thankful. I'm alive. I'm healthy. <laughs> I have my teeth here with me. Yet I had my first toothbrush in eighth grade. So the Lord has been nice and kind and generous and loving and faithful. And we have nothing else that we can do apart from bring him glory every day. So we put together Thankful International Ministries. We have a website. Thanks. We are so thankful for John. He helped us. We have a friend visiting us, John and Jess. They helped us building, build our first website and we, now we can go on looking for sponsors to stand with us. So why are we sponsoring children? Knowing the problem in the place that we come from, we are trying to raise funds to send these children to school. However, we are building a fertile ground for us to be able to share Jesus Christ. We want to tell them we are not looking for money to pay for you because you're our biological children. No, we are not responsible to send them to school. We are not, but God has loved us. God has used many people in our lives that we even don't know. When we moved to California, we have lots of testimonies. When we moved to California, we found a house that's fully furnished just for us. Everything was put together. We just found a card and names are written on the card. We never met any of those people in the two and a half years we lived in California. God has loved us and he has used people. We have family everywhere we go. So we want to be family to these people. We want to share Christ. We want to show them that we love you because Christ freely loved us. And we want to just share the love of Christ with you. So going to school is a good thing. But knowing Jesus as a personal Lord and Savior is the best. We want to send, we want to raise mission trips and lead mission trips. If you can come with us this June or July, whenever you're available, please plan. You can ask us for more information. You can come with us to Africa to just share the love of Jesus. We might not send all these children to school. We might send five or ten or two, but we can share Christ with so many. When you go there, you don't have to look for them. They will come to you to listen to what you have to say. And so many people will come to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. And that's our ultimate goal. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. She said that she didn't meet anyone in California, but we met the island. That's how we ended up here. God bless. Amen. Wasn't that wonderful? Praise the Lord. 
And I hope that you'll go by and visit with them. I just love it that God brought them to us and our church, and uh, we get to be a part of that. Let's pray for their ministry now and, and what God's doing there. Father, thank you for this wonderful family. Lord, the stories we've just heard, I can't fully wrap my head around. Thank you for loving us so much that you sent Jesus to die for us. That no matter where we come from, no matter how much money we had or what our parents did or what country we lived in, Lord, that Jesus died for us. Thank you for this sweet family and all that you're doing in them and through them. I pray that as a church we would encourage them and help them. I pray that you'd bless their efforts as they continue to work to share the gospel, to help raise funds, to help these children be able to go to school. Lord, I know they're praying about how you'd have them be involved in this even more going forward as a family. Lord, I pray that you would use us to be a launch pad for them, a place that they could continue to grow and and go and serve you faithfully, and we could go with them, support them, pray for them, give to them, help them. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And Brother Jan's going to share with us again from God's Word. I think he's got a little video for us. And uh, so you get to enjoy that of some ministry. Brother Jan, would you come introduce that to us and then uh, share what the Lord lays on your heart? So glad to have you with us. Thank today. you, Pastor. I love you. Well, it's good to see each one of you. Uh, I'm going to take you on a medical team. We're going to let you travel right along with us, okay? Uh, we're going into Peru, and uh, we're going down... Uh, Part of the trip will be on a uh, tributary of the Amazon River, uh, and uh, you're going to see a scene in here, and I want to explain it to you. Uh, I don't know, Brother Will, if you know uh, Terry Hamilton or not up in Iowa. You know Terry? Okay, his church. Uh, churches will call us and say, we want to go on a medical team, and then they put together all of the medical people they can find, uh, and non-medical people. And then we come in and train them, do all the work, and then we take them to the field. They can either go to one of our missionaries that we are working with, or if they happen to have a missionary that uh, would need uh, a place, like our brothers and sister here, uh, maybe in Rwanda, they would like to go. And so you guys put together a medical team. We'll put together the whole thing. And we'll bring all the rest of the doctors, nurses, dentists, optometrists. We'll get all the medicine. We'll do everything. Uh, and uh, we'll take, train your young people that want to go. And we just take the church. Well, uh, Terry Hamilton's church up in uh, Iowa, Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Uh, their church is Friendship Baptist Church, I think is the name of it, if I remember right. Uh, Terry, uh, we asked the pastor to do the preaching. Uh, and so the pastor does the preaching. Well, Terry Hamilton uh, is preaching, uh, and there is a Spanish translator. The Spanish translator 
will then give the message in Spanish to a man who then translates the message into an Indian dialect that only the people in that village really speak. Uh, and the man that he's talking to uh, is uh, the head chief of that village. By the way, we have a church there. They're going to mention that. Uh, the church was started from one of our previous clinics. Uh, and uh, that day, when they gave him the message of the gospel, and you're going to see him giving this message, the head uh, elder chief of the village received Christ as his Savior. So uh, this is you going to Peru, okay? Brother, if you would, go ahead. Many people have asked us, uh, why do you stay in the fundamental churches? And uh, the reason is because we believe in doctrine. You can't have a foundation of bad doctrine and have a good ministry. Uh, and we believe that our Bible-believing churches have good doctrine. Uh, and so uh, we've had many offers to go. Uh, one group said, we've got $50,000 a year for you. All you got to do is start doing this. And we said, no. Uh, we've had many offers. Uh, but we believe that God put the church on the earth to do his work. And so we work with our churches and are very thankful every year. Uh, I can't tell you how many churches work with us on these various projects uh, that we'll be showing you over the next uh, few days uh, and introducing you to. Uh, we want so much that our ministry will bless the people of the church. And we work very hard at that. Uh, believe me, it would be much easier uh, to do it uh, in another way. Because of the fact that churches have specific ministries. Uh, and they're all over in different places. Everyone has different standards. Everyone has different peculiarities that we have to get to work with. Uh, we never know how people are going to be dressed. We never know how things are going to be done. And we have to, we have to work and make that uh, work out. And sometimes it's a little bit hard, I'll be honest with you, okay? We were in one place one time, and the pastor there, uh, we were uh, giving the gospel at, uh, at, in the clinic. We preach about 12 to 14 times a day in a clinic because we'll fill a room, preach to people while they're getting their medicine, uh, they, they go to the pharmacy, turn in all their paperwork from the doctors. Then we take them to a place, and if they will, they listen to the gospel. And then they leave, and they go get their medicine and go home. Well, we fill that room, preach, then they go. Fill that room, and so the preacher may preach 12, 14 times a day. Uh, and so it's, it's uh, very hard uh, sometimes uh, on the uh, church people. Because they're not used to working that hard. Uh, and sometimes we run you so hard that, uh, and I never will forget, a, a lady said to me, she said, uh, um, do we have ice cream tonight? And I said, no ma'am, we're three and a half hours away from anything called a store. Uh, we're, we're no place close to anything. Oh, she said, 
we're so accustomed to ice cream after supper. And I thought to myself, oh my goodness, what am I dealing with here? Uh, you know, uh, so it, it's a good thing. Uh, I want you to go back to 2 Corinthians tonight. Uh, let's, let's just review for a moment. Remember, the health of the church will determine the health of the mission field. The health of the mission field should not determine the health of the church. And that's what's happening today. The church is so consumed with getting out of the United States that we're not doing anything in the United States. You think we can exist doing that? We're going to die. And then the health of the mission field will be destroyed. Now, please listen to me about this. I know what I'm talking about. I have years and years and years of experience of working with churches, mission field, and uh, uh, I'm heavily engaged in trying to reach the United States. Okay? I'm not preaching to you something I'm not doing. All right? We must, with everything in us, change our minds. We must decide that our churches... Please believe me, I just got a, a note from a church. No longer supporting. That church at one time was, was running over a thousand people. For 23 years, they sent me $250 a month. I just lost that because their church has diminished in size so much that they cannot truly maintain the number of missionaries that they've called. Listen to me. I know what I'm talking about. I can take you to a church not too far from here. Uh, and if I mention the name of it, you would probably know it. Uh, and, uh, uh, well, it's a little bit further away than what I was thinking. But anyway, they ran uh, almost 5,000 people. Today, if they have a couple of hundred, they're doing real well. We are not at a time where we can take this lightly, folks. We are in a battle for the life of the local church, not the body of Christ. The body of Christ is doing very well, very well all over the world. And there is a harvest going on, but we're not a part of it here in the United States. Now, if we don't get these things right, if we don't understand that it is our responsibility to win people, I've heard this over and over. Well, you know, people don't get saved like they used to. And then my mind just goes to, oh no, here's this diatribe. You know, somebody trying to explain why they don't witness. That's all it is. Okay. And, uh, and you know, going door to door doesn't work anymore. And I go, oh boy. Tell you. And then I get these other things. And it just, they all say the same thing, and none of them are doing anything. Okay? Now let me tell you what happened. I know a church right now that decided they would not allow that to exist. A young man, one young man, started canvassing his neighborhood. Well, actually, the neighborhood directly across the street from the church he was in. And he would go door by door. And you know something? Contacts started rolling in. 
You know why? Because people will let you in the door. People will listen to you. And the only people telling us that it doesn't work are people who are not doing it. Oh, you're not going to get everybody to be happy and invite you in and say, would you like a Diet Coke? That always bothers me. I like my Diet Coke, you know. But you stay out knocking on those doors, canvassing, and you're going to start coming up with people that need the church and they need Jesus desperately. We've given up on it. But you know something? The Mormons haven't. You see those little Mormon boys on their bicycles all the time. Now let me tell you something. They came to our house years ago. My sister, I was living with my sister. My parents gave me away when I was 15 days old. Never met my father, don't know my mother. Lived with my aunt and uncle. My aunt died. So I had to move in with my uh, uh, half-sister. These two little Mormon boys came by. And they said, uh, we'd like to tell you all about Joseph Smith in the Mormon church. Church of Latter-day Saints. Now, my sister and her husband were Baptist. They went to church on Easter, and they went to church on Christmas. That was it. And sometimes they didn't even do that. Those two little Mormon boys came in, did one presentation, and for every night of the week came back. My sister's husband died the head elder of a Mormon stake. In other words, he was the chief director for an entire area of the Mormon church. He had never gone to church in his life. My sister, after he died, became a temple devotee and went to the temple in Atlanta helping to make sure that it was uh, taken care of when people came to the temple. Two people that never went to church hardly in their life, claiming to be Baptist, knew the Bible, quote, unquote, and two little Mormon boys knocking on doors changed everything. They came to me because I sat through all the lessons, and they said, I had just gotten saved. I mean, it wasn't but weeks. And when I heard the Joseph Smith story, I looked at him and I said, now look, I don't know much about the Bible. But I know that Joseph Smith's not right. I was 13 years old. Now, folks, if it didn't work, those Mormon boys wouldn't be out there, would they? And they're everywhere. It's us that uh, is not going to the harvest. Now, we talked about a commission, didn't we? We're ambassadors. That's what we're supposed to be. We talked about a ministry. It's a ministry of reconciliation. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Okay? Uh, we talked about an aspiration, which is that we would make ourselves acceptable to the Lord. 
Now, we're acceptable in Jesus, but the word acceptable there means to please the Lord. We want Him to be pleased with us. Okay, that was his total aspiration. By the word, by the way, where it says labor, that's exactly what that word means. It means to aspire to something. Uh, we talked about the uh, difficult condition. We will be judged. We will stand before Christ. And every one of our works. Remember what Paul said? Wood, hay, and stubble. Okay. Or precious stone. He's going to look at it. Then we talked about a passion. He persuaded men. Are you with me? You understand what I'm talking about in this passage. People will say to me when I preach this message, well... Do you witness because you're afraid God will not give you a reward? No. I'm afraid I won't please Him. Big difference. But that's not the reason I witness. You know why I witness? Because there's a constraint. In this passage, let me read it to you, okay? Isn't this a good passage of Scripture? I told somebody the other uh, today, I think it was, if you can't preach this passage, you better go sell used cars, okay? Because this one preaches itself, okay? In uh, the uh, fifth chapter, verse number 14, For the love of Christ constraineth us. That's why we do it. Because He First loved us. You know, I thank God. When I was a, a, a young boy growing up, I always lived in somebody else's home. I always wore somebody else's clothing. Nothing that I had belonged to me. When my aunt died, finally I moved to a children's home. I never will forget, uh, it was a farm. I had 33,000 chickens that I took care of every day. And if you don't believe 33,000 chickens are a pain in the neck, you go do it, okay? You'll learn quickly. And they are so loud. Oh my goodness, you get in some of those chicken houses and they are so loud. I, every day I had to go through and cull the chickens. In other words, the sick ones. I would pick them out and I would kill them and then I burned their bodies. Okay? I had 23 beef cattle that I took care of every morning before I went to school in the children's home. And we had a bull. Big, huge, huge red Angus bull. These things are so broad. Okay? And... We were boys. Come on, give me a break here. And uh, so we started screaming and yelling, oh, and, and I was carrying this guy uh, like this. And the guy who ran the farm came out and he goes, what on earth is wrong? And I said, the bull got him. And oh, man, we scared that guy to death. We shouldn't have done that. I know that. But it was kind of fun, you know. Uh, I had 90 pigs that I took care of every morning.
before I went to school. We had 33 sows. We had a parlor, it's called. And the, the sows would go into the parlor and they would uh, deliver the piglets. And the piglets had to run away from the sows because sows kill every one of them and eat them. Okay? So there was a little area uh, where the little piglets would shoot underneath. They learned to run quickly. Okay? When, when the sow would go to sleep, they'd come out and they'd start nursing. And when they woke her up, bingo, back underneath they'd go. It was, and, and if you've never seen anything, a little pig looks just like a big pig. Did you know that? They are so cute, all right, uh, And uh, until they get out. And they can root with their no. Oh, I never will forget. I would chase those crazy things. Do you know how fast a pig is? They can run. And I used to carry a two-by-four because they'll eat you. And boy, they'd start coming at me, and I'd take that two by four, and wow! They'd head off, and it'd stop. But you know something? I'm so thankful that Jesus loved me. When I got to understand how much Jesus loved me, I gave my life to Him. I went to another children's home, and I gave up the animal world. For the kid world, I had 22 boys that I took care of every day of my life. I made sure their clothes were folded. I made sure that their shoes were shined. Uh, I made sure they got their homework done. If they had a problem in school, it was my job to go to the teacher, find out what was wrong, and correct the problem. I had a little boy in my room. He would cry every night. He was 12 years old. He had watched his mother be beaten to death by his father. And he would cry at night. And he would wet the bed and I would have to get him up and I would have to take care of him. I had a little four-year-old in my room. His parents had kind of left him with us. He was so small that... I had to pull my mattress off the top bunk, put it on the floor, and I would sleep on the floor and he would sleep on the first bunk just in case he rolled off. I didn't want him to hit the concrete floor. I'm so glad Jesus loved me. I'm so glad that God took care of me. It is the love of God. I will never in all of my life get over the fact that Jesus loved even me and you know something when that thought strikes your heart that God truly loves you there is no amount of force that can cause you to stop only you will stop yourself the word constrained literally means to take someone and to hold them. Jesus was taken. By the way, I, I like that idea of the, in the jail. You know, Peter went to jail. Jesus went to jail, right? Paul went to jail. Joseph went to jails. Bunch of jailbirds in the Bible. And they held Jesus. The Bible says 
In other words, they constrained him to stay in that holding area. They would not let him go and they, they taunted him. Taunting is not a new thing. It's been a part of human culture for multiple years. And they put a crown of thorns on him and they put a robe on him. And they mocked him. And they constrained him to stay right there. Why do we do what we do around the world? Because the love of God constrains us. We're held like a, in a vice grip of the greatest power ever known to man. And that is the love of God. Oh, I, I could tell you stories. My father-in-law said to me one time, we were going on a medical team. And, and my father-in-law is a good man. He's uh, been a deacon in his church. He's just, he served the Lord faithfully. Okay. And all of a sudden I got a phone call saying that the airfare that we had for the team had jumped and we would have to come up with more money. And he happened to be around when the phone call came in. He said, why do you do this? He said, it's nothing but a headache. Because Jesus loves every one of those people in Rwanda, right? He loves every one of them in Uganda, doesn't he? He loves every one of them in Houston. He loves all of them in Mexico and El Salvador and Nicaragua and Costa Rica and Guatemala and Panama and Venezuela and Guyana and Ecuador and Peru and Chile. He loves all of them in Europe. He loves everyone in every country. When I preach, sometimes I'll say this. I love to do it in Uganda because all of a sudden I'll see that big smile. The Ugandan people, for some reason, cannot help but smile. And they will get this big smile. And I tell them, I say, now, uh, today, you can make sure that you are ready to go to heaven. I use John 3.16. I preach from that. It's a marvelous passage to preach the gospel. Okay? Uh, and uh, I'll say, you and I don't know each other. And in a few days, I'll be gone. I'll come back. But someday, Jesus is going to come or I'm going to die. Same for you. And if you know him, if Jesus should come, He's going to take you out of Uganda. And there'll be people out of Rwanda. And there'll be people out of Kenya and Tanzania. And all of the African nations and all of Europe and all of the United States. And we're going to meet him in the air. And there we shall be with the Lord forever. And man, they start clapping. I said, you'll start here, I'll start over there. But we all wind up right where we're supposed to be. Nobody lost. And they laugh. And then some of them will raise their hand and say, I'd like to pray to receive Christ. Yeah, why? Because it's the love of God that constrains us. But there's a lot of reasons...
Uh, there's a lot of reasons why pastors get frustrated, isn't it? I tell people, in fact, today, I was, I've been working on several projects this afternoon, okay? Uh, and uh, I've got a lady uh, uh, over in Tanzania, and uh, it looks like she has cancer. Uh, and I've been going back and forth, back and forth. People will write us, we send the message out to our doctors, then they send back in the information, okay? Uh, and uh, we were working with a lady who's a widow and uh, here in the United States, uh, and she needs a ramp built for her. And her church is working on it, but it's hard for them to come up with the money. And they called and said, would Operation Renewed Hope help this widow? Well, of course we will, okay? Um, there are so many things that can be discouraging. Never will forget we were in India, okay? And... Uh, we pulled in to where the church was on the road, just on the road now. 800 people standing. They looked like a sea of people. You couldn't see the church for all the people standing in line waiting to go to the clinic. Now, if you don't believe that'll take the breath out of you, okay? And I, look, I stood up on the bus and I said, now everybody look at me. You get in there and get yourself ready. You're going to do a clinic. You let me take care of the 800 people. So we had guard, and all the people were glad to do that. <laughs> as soon as we got inside the compound there of the church, the church has walls so it can protect itself. And so in the bus came, and all those people, they ran away and left me with 800 people. Okay, we had guards and I mean, it, it, we had uh, security paid. We had state security there because you need it, so on and so forth. And so uh, I was standing at the gate letting people in after everything got started. And there was a woman there. And she was so, you know, they're afraid. Did you know that? They're afraid they're not going to get help. They're afraid they stood in line and that just before... They go into the clinic. The last person will be the one in front of them. And they're afraid. And I told the guards, I said, whatever you do, don't you shut that gate. You shut that gate and somebody's going to die today. Well, one of the guards shut the gate because he got afraid of all the people. And man, they just started pushing that gate. Do you know how much power there is with people like that? So I went over and I told him, I said, you get out of the way and don't you ever come back here. And I took the gate and I opened it. And all of a sudden, everybody calmed down. And I told him, I said, back up, back up. And they would a little bit, but it's hard to get 800 people to back up. So I was standing there at the gate and I, I had my back to the crowd and I was letting people in as we could, you know. And there was this woman, she had a stick and she took that stick and she started beating me on the back because she wanted in. And she would hit me and hit me and hit me. And finally, I turned around and I looked at her and I said, everything's going to be okay. And I grabbed her and I hugged her. She never hit me again. Yeah, I was too. Yeah, I believe that. I never will forget... Uh, yo, boy, I tell you, <laughs> you're right about that. 
Sometimes we're afraid we're going to be held hostage. I never will forget we were in India with a clinic, and all of a sudden the translators call us at 10 o'clock at night, and they make demands. Everybody wants to renegotiate their contract. Did you know that? And they, so they, they wanted to renegotiate. I told them, I said, forget it, don't come. But others did. We did the clinic, no problem. 10 o'clock at night, no, no translators, quote-unquote, for the next day. Never we'll forget, we were uh, in uh, Jordan. And uh, the owner of the hotel, quote-unquote, uh, Jordan, everything's owned by the king, and they just allow you, if you pay your taxes, to keep it. And so I had gone to bed that night. I was tired. We had just gotten in, distributed everything, got all the rooms open. Our people were in a room. And all of a sudden, I got a knock on the door. Knock, 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 knock. Anytime I'm in bed and I hear a knock, it's not because they want to tell me how wonderful I am. Okay? As a pastor, nobody ever came to the door and knocked on the door and went, uh, Pastor, we just think you're doing such a good job. They always came and said, Preacher, we love you to death, but <laughs> when you hear that, you know everything's on the road, okay? And they, uh, uh, they knocked on the door, and they said, uh, the owner of the hotel just said, we need to pay him $5,000 more. I said, okay. So I walked out to him, and I said, why do I owe you $5,000 more? I said, I've paid you half of what we agreed on right now. I don't pay anybody the full price. You'll never, <laughs> you can forget it. And he said, well, I made a mistake in figuring. And I looked at him and I said, a $5,000 mistake is not a mistake. Okay. A two or $300 mistake, yeah. And I looked at him and I said, you're a thief. And that's the best I can say for you. And you're trying to rob all of these people who have come to your country to help your people. And by the way, in Jordan, it was amazing. Iranians came, Iraqis came, Jordanians came, uh, uh, Syrian refugees came. The UN came down to where we were doing the clinic and begged us, please come up to the, uh, to the camp. We can't help all these people. And I said to him, I said, you realize we're going to preach the gospel. I said, we will not uh, go any place that we don't preach the gospel unless there's special circumstances. And they said, we don't care what you do. These people desperately need medical care. Well, I couldn't leave. We did 1,300 patients in Jordan in four days. And I said to the man, I said, now how much money do you actually need. And they said $500. So I gave it to him. I was willing to help the man. He probably did make a $500 mistake. But I told him, I said, you're a liar and you're a thief and you're trying to rob us. Circumstances change. I never will forget we were in Peru. And uh, have you ever seen that show, Most Dangerous Roads in the World? This is one of those roads. Okay? Uh, we were supposed to, the last time we went into this place, we flew in by aircraft. Uh, we had uh, uh, single engine planes with pods under it, and we could put all of our stuff in, and we made mul multiple runs. 
and we landed in a jungle uh, airstrip. In other words, it was uh, somebody had run a car up and down it enough that they made ruts, and the plane would come in and land. And the drug cartel had taken over that little landing strip, and we couldn't go in. We, the, the people who supplied the airplane, South American Air, they were afraid that the airplanes would be confiscated by the drug runners. So we flew into Cusco. Cusco, Peru, is 12,000 and some odd hundred feet up. At 10,000, you have to have air masks. Okay? Then, after we got off the plane, we drove up even further going over the mountain to 13,000 feet in the air, if you can imagine that. And we had a 13-hour trip on that road getting from 13,000 feet to 900 feet above sea level. Okay? And uh, it was hilarious. I'd look over the side of that bus and I kid you not, I know that one of those outside tires of that dually had nothing under it, okay? And it was twelve to 1,500 feet straight down. Uh, and the, the driver would go, hey, everybody put your windows up. First time he did it, we didn't understand, so we put our windows up. He drove right through a waterfall. on the side of the mountain. But my favorite of everything was their idea of a tunnel. Okay? Uh, where they could not excavate the mountainside, they actually took shovels and whatever, and they dug a hole through the side of the mountain that came out where they could begin another road on the other side. There was no concrete, there was no shoring up. There was no wood inside it. It was just a dirt hole dug in the side of that mountain. And to get down to 900 feet, we had to go through two of those. And the bus would roll up to the front of that dirt hole. And he would start inching through. And you would sit there and there was nothing. And if he moved too much the bus would hit the side of the hole. So he had to go very careful, carefully through there that he didn't go back and forth with the bus. <laughs> and I want you to know, we got through and we got down, had a wonderful clinic, and the last night I'm looking at the man who helps me plan all these, and I said, what if we can't get through the hole? <laughs> he said, I don't know. <laughs> and I said, that is not the answer I was looking for, okay? <laughs> we made it. And I can stand here tonight. I won't because you're ready to go home. And I can tell you event after event. I can tell you about being on the ocean, in a boat, about a little bit larger or a little bit wider than this pew. Forty of us. We got out on the ocean and they used the, the shore as their guide for where they are. 
And all of a sudden, a squall came in. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in one. I was so scared. I am a coward at heart. I want you to know. We couldn't see a thing. So here we are, uh, you know, putting along one engine. All right. And uh, we're headed for a dock across the bay. And you can't see a thing. And we had already divided up because the water we were having to bail the boat because the water was coming down so strongly. And we had divided the women into groups with men. So in case the boat went down, uh, we would have uh, a man that could, the women could uh, stay with a little bit longer. They could tread themselves, but they would, they would lose energy faster than the man would. And so here we are, and I, the missionary was in the front of the boat, and it's a long boat. The boat was longer than from here all the way to the back pew. I mean, it was a long boat. And I stood up in the back of the boat, because I was by the captain. I was getting soaked. Uh, and I yelled to the missionary, ask the captain where we are. And he goes, and I did it again. He goes, and so he stands up in the front of the boat, <laughs> And he says in Spanish to the captain, who's at the back with the tiller, you know, uh, the outboard motor. Uh, and he goes in Spanish, I can't say it because I don't even remember how you say it. But anyway, he asked him, where are we? And I never will forget the answer that came. The boat captain didn't say a word. He just looked forward and he goes like that. And that was the sum total of the communication we had on that boat. It was so bad that one of the boats split. Okay? Uh, it was a fiberglass boat. We had put uh, uh, people on the fiberglass boat. We had, had a nice fiberglass boat. And part of it split because it was pounding the ocean so badly. And I'm not kidding. As soon as we got out of that squall, and I'll never know how this man did this, we were looking directly at the pier where we were supposed to be going. And he just goes, and how he knew that, I don't have slides. As far as I was concerned, we were headed to England, you know. <laughs> you say, why do you do that? Because up in those jungle areas, there are people who need Jesus. And the love of God constrains. Folks, there are people in 500,000 to a million dollar homes right here in Houston. They need Jesus. They walk into their house. And the husband hates the wife. The wife hates the husband. Both of them probably make in excess of $800,000 a year together. The children won't talk to them. They live on alcohol. Or there are people that have so many deficiencies, but they have so much money. And we're afraid to tell those people about Jesus. And there are people who live in regular homes in the sense of, let's say, two hundred dollars to $350,000. They need Jesus. And there are people who live in $100,000 homes. And they need Jesus. 
And if we don't tell them, who will do it? If the ambassador refuses his appointment, who will go? And the Lord said, who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here am I, Lord, send me. And the love of Christ constraineth us that he died for the whole world. And it ought to be like a vice grip on our souls. It ought to hold us to the ministry. We ought never to give up. We ought never to back away. We must confront the situation. God help us that we might do that here in Houston. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Every head bowed and every eye closed. No one looking around. I'm just going to ask you this. It's going to be a simple invitation. I'm going to ask the sweet lady to go to the piano. Or I guess you're playing piano. Okay. All right. He's not a sweet lady. Uh, and uh, if you would like to pray for the lost because the love of Christ is constraining you, would you just come down to the altar and pray that God would use you to reach someone this week for Jesus Christ. Let's stand to our feet. If God's touched your heart, would you come? Lord, bless these people tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Come to the altar and kneel, saying, Dear God, may the love of God constrain me. And hold me like a vice grip that I would do these things. Amen.